Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis and today's guest is Hassan Hai. Hassan is a father and a transplanted mainlander who spent nearly seven years in Newfoundland. However, he is just approaching his first town university. Previously, he had lived in Clarenville and Marystown. In the last year, he's been heavily invested in community development through a group he formed called Project Kindness, and most recently, the Newfoundland Labrador Beard and Mustache Club, which focuses both on appreciating facial hair and giving back to the community. And finally, he tosses axes on the side. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure. A, it is a pleasure to have you here. And this is the first time we've met. And that's it uh, it's always exciting to me when I meet <laughs> you know a, a new, fabulously bearded fellow. You seem pretty all right yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Though I was say I was just saying you can't tell on radio, but I just shaved off my beard and now and now I have beard envy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll always grow back. That's it will. It will. It grows back fairly quick. So yeah. we'll 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 uh, you'll have to come back. We'll do a, a recap at some <laughs> there point you go. when I'm more here suit. Um, so I I kind of found out about you, I guess, uh, made contact through Facebook. Mm-hmm. And you had made a post. You put put something up on yeah. Facebook, and, and uh, that's how I kind of heard about you and, and got in touch. Can, can you just tell me what you what you put on Facebook and why? Sure. So it was a couple days ago, and I don't recall how I found it, but uh, some individual in our community had put up a post, and it was uh, quite an angry rant about an alleged incident at the uh, the village shopping center that had occurred recently, where, uh, as he uh, termed a refugee, had uh, been assaulting both children and seniors publicly in the food court, um, sexually as well as physically, uh, was accosted by security, punched the security guard in the head, and yelled, Allahu Akbar. Uh, and, and then he, this individual further went on saying that uh, the police and the government refused to lay charges, and then went on about, you know, we must protect our own, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I looked at that, and it was laughable. I mean, there was nothing that looked valid in that. I mean, in a, if, even if... the in our community, if anything like that, remotely like that had happened, the the world would have imploded. People would have been talking about it. Yeah. A little bit of fact-checking. I, you know, I did a Google search on the image used. It was actually from an article from two or three years ago uh, when the Village Mall had shut down because of a sprinkler malfunction, I guess, during Dark NL or something to that effect. And actually, I had connected with a fellow who works at the Village and had, had witnessed the actual incident, which was a Caucasian male who I, I guess was, you know, maybe a drug user, was describing to a 12-year-old girl his drug use. When the, when the mother objected to his language, he freaked out. He, this guy punched the security guard in the head and was arrested. Very far cry from this, this foreign invasion that he described. Right, yeah, yeah. So my post wasn't critical of him, but of the almost 300 people who had shared that article and added their own, their own sort of hateful rhetoric saying, you know, here we go again, you know, it's coming, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I asked people, A, you know, (laughs) use your head, use some common sense and do a bit of fact checking before you share stuff. Um, And I even gave people some tools like, you know, using Google and all that is that, and and just don't blindly share things without doing a bit of research and and before putting your name behind it, because you just perpetuate fear, you know, Islamophobia, any kind of hate or bigotry, you're making it worse by not thinking and just blindly sharing things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that prompted you to kind of do something and and put put yourself out there as someone to to talk to. Exactly. And it was actually uh, in almost reverse order because it would just happen to be a couple days before. So I'm, I'm from a Muslim family. I'm an immigrant myself. I'm a visible minor, or a person of color, as it were. Um, and, uh, you know, I was a year old when we came to Canada. I'm from a uh, fairly religious Muslim family. Um, and I see a lot of this 
um, really ignorance that goes out there for people who have no exposure to the Muslim community or Islam as a faith. So I'm not here to convert people. I'm not a practicing Muslim. I'm not religious at all. But a lot of people in our specific community are afraid of what they don't know, what they don't understand, and don't yeah, have absolutely. any exposure to. Yeah. So I put myself out there saying, hey, I'm a decent fellow. I'm all right. You know, let's sit down for coffee. If you're afraid of that which you don't know, if you have legitimate fears and are open to have a conversation, like if you've already made up your mind and believe that I'm the devil incarnate and I've come here to take over your land and your culture, well, we're not going to go very far. But if you are somewhere in the middle and you're willing to talk, I'll sit down with you. You know, bring your friends. Let's go to Tim's. Let's have a beer, whatever it is. And let me tell you about what real Muslims and what the Muslim community in Canada is like. Yeah. What what has your experience been? You, you grew up in Ottawa, yes, right? Which sure. is uh, much more ethnically diverse than Newfoundland in, yeah. in some ways, I guess you could say. Uh, what, what was your experience like coming from, uh, you know, parts of Canada that might have more of a, of a history of, of that kind of ethnic diversity and then coming to, to Newfoundland? So, you know, it's been, I've seen both ends of the spectrum. So, I mean, I've lived in the prairies, I've lived in BC, I grew up in Ottawa. I grew up in Orleans in the east end of Ottawa. It's predominant, like my high school, for example, I was out of like 1,400 kids, I was maybe one of 20 visible minorities. Right. That changed in the couple of years of high school. I mean, you know, there was a lot of other families there. Coming to Newfoundland, living in, you know, I lived in Marystown and Clarenville. And, you know, it was, it was interesting because immediately everyone assumed I was the doctor in town <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> or I was a business owner. I'm like, cool. And actually I was unemployed. <laughs> and like, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas previously it would have been, everyone assumes I'm a cab driver or security guard. Right, so like, yeah. I, you know, the stereotypes were kind of positive ones. Like if you, want, if you want to think I'm a doctor, I'll take that. I'm not a doctor. Um, there was a lot of, like, I, I, I joke about this in a, in, a, in a good-natured way, a lot of compliments on my English and how good it was. There was a lot of people who had no ill will, no ill intent at all, but had just a lack of exposure to other cultures. Right. And assumed that just because of my skin color that I was new to Canada. And I'm like, and, you know, I, it was pre- predominantly seniors who would, who would say that. And I could tell right away it's from a good place. And I would, you know, I would, I would say, well, you know, I grew up in Canada. That's why my English is so good. I learned it, you know, from an early age. And it just, I could tell that they, they couldn't resolve that in their minds, that if you're not white, you yeah. obviously are new to Canada. And yeah. It's like, no, the, the face of Canada is different. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, we, we are living in an era now in, in, in Newfoundland. Even in, I, I've noticed a dramatic change, even in the past 10 years yes. in, in Newfoundland, that... Um, immigration is uh, is kind of a fact of life now in, in yeah. Canada. And so we are seeing people who aren't, don't fit that typical Anglo-Irish kind right. of Newfoundland look, you mm-hmm. know? And and I think, yeah, you're, it's, it's interesting that that you experience the best and the worst because we, we have this reputation as Newfoundlanders as being friendly and welcoming. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that plays out in weird kind of weird kind of ways you yeah. know as someone who is you know uh has moved here from away i still get the oh you're not you're not really from here <laughs> <laughs> i like to joke about the the conversation of where are you from and i say oh from ottawa oh but where are you really from okay, well then yeah. it goes well i'm from orleans but where are you really from <laughs> and this could go on actually sometimes I'll, I'll play with people it'll go on for like 10 minutes because yeah. they're ultimately you know you're foreign and they're waiting for that validation that you're not from here yeah so have you uh, have you noticed um, a shift in how Canadians uh, deal with uh, Islam? Like, have you seen a rise of Islamophobia? Do you, do you see a shift? Have you seen a shift? Uh, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. So, my family—I like, haven't been victimized myself in any way, uh, but 
certainly, you know, over the last couple of years with, you know, the, the influx of, you know, Syrian refugees, for example, uh, international terrorism. I mean, fortunately, Canada has been more or less immune to foreign acts of terror. Uh, but in the last couple of years, I mean, there's been events like in, you know, in Ontario and elsewhere where there has been people linked or, 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 or identifying as being members of ISIS or whatever it is there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's changed the narrative. And certainly in federal politics, especially in the last election leading up to that, there was a lot of sort of dog whistle politics and a lot of fear mongering going on. And that, you know, it, it, it trickles down and, and it's in a lot of people's psyche that, that we need to be afraid. It doesn't help that a lot of not our leader, but our leadership um, promotes that in you know in, in various ways, um, and as long as that's part of the conversation, you know how can we say no? It's okay, everyone's fine when we actually have leaders and you know the certain you know alleged uh, media agencies, you know like I won't name them, but um, who who promote this and say no? There's a wave, there's a there's a war coming, and it's coming to our shores. Yeah. So that conversation is new in Canada. I mean, well, no, it's new to mainstream conversation. It's always been there. That hate and fear will have always existed, will always exist in some form, but now it's part of public conversation. Mm. What, what do you think some of the biggest myths or fears are that, that people have about Islam? So the most common, you know what, it's, 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 it's almost comical because it's the same things that come up over and over again. It's like you come to our country and you want to change us. One of the things I love quoting is that the first Muslims in Canada were here before Confederation. It was actually Scottish immigrants, the Love family. I, I only learned that myself recently. So Muslims have been here since before Confederation. And actually, the first Muslim-born Canadian was, I think it was James Love was his name. And it was like within the first year of Confederation. Islam has, is as old as Canada. Like, pardon me, Islam has been in Canada as long as Canada has existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the myths are people are coming to Canada to change us. And there's often these quotes. There's a couple examples that are quoted. One is this alleged incident in Montreal where the Muslim community wanted to ban pork and non-halal products in schools. Uh, the city of, I want to say Dorval, has actually issued a statement saying it's a completely false story. It's perpetuated. But people keep referring to that and saying, look what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The other one is that Muslims are trying to impose prayer in schools. Now the and, and then they quote that look at the you know Christians are no longer allowed or any anyone uh, identifying as Christian cannot pray in school so why are they getting special treatment now the reality though is that yes the Lord's prayer was taken out you know decades ago and let, you know more recently in say Newfoundland etc um, a lot of Muslims in Canada are just asking for a room somewhere to pray on their own the same way that Christians can pray on their own mm-hmm. so it's not an apples to apples comparison. Um, we can't we can't wish we can't uh, wish Merry Christmas anymore. Christmas is being banned. I wish people Merry Christmas. My parents, who are practicing Muslims, wish everyone Merry Christmas and you know Happy Hanukkah or whatever their their occasion is. Christmas isn't going away. We're not. No one's going to take it away. Yeah. Uh, the influx of Sharia law. Now, growing up in a Muslim household, we never talked about that. Like it's not what people think it is, and no one's coming here to impose a set of. I'm not going to get into what Sharia is, Sharia law is uh, or advocate for it, but it's not just like this barbaric practice of someone's going to lose their hands or be you know stoned to death. Um, it's everything from like business law and things like that. But no one's imposing it here. Like my family came to Canada, and it's like, oh great, Canada has its own set of laws. We're going to obey them because this is our country. 
And like the vast majority of most the people who come to Canada who happen to be Muslim are like, hey, we love this country. We're going to obey all the laws and the values of the land. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the common misconceptions where it's perceived that everyone coming in is here to make this the new Saudi Arabia, the new Mecca for Muslims. It's like, no, it's the new home. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, you, you've referenced twice in this conversation already this, this uh, idea that people are going online and getting incorrect information. Correct. And, and we live in this era, again, now where it's so easy to publish things uh, online, but yeah. people are not necessarily digitally literate. They don't, they don't yeah. necessarily have the skills to determine what is, yeah. is alt-truth uh, and yeah. what is real truth, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I uh, you know, I'm a folklorist, so I'm always interested in kind of how myths spread mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. But it, it does seem that in the last, even in the last year with the American election and, mm-hmm. and there, there is this, this seems to be this growing sense that, um, that we, we have the ability to create our own truths online and then people just accept those as facts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and that leads to the spread of these kind of, you know, instances like you were talking about at the mall with the recycled photograph yeah. and, you know. So here's the most concerning part of that, of, the, of those sort of instances there. So I've gone, like, I don't fight with people on the internet, even though it might appear like that. I engage people often, especially when, um, not to attack them, but to try and bring out their best selves. So in this example here of that village, that alleged division mall, village mall incident, so I corrected some people on that and, you know, politely and said, you know, actually none of that happened and here's the facts there. Some people have said, be that as it may, this issue is coming anyways. And that's not the first time I've heard that. So the, the really horrifying truth to that is that someone has decided I fear or dislike or hate this group and it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter if you lie to me. I'm still going to believe that. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter if the evidence for my fear is actually completely false and has been debunked. It, I'm, I'm, it's, I've decided what my opinion is going to be, and nothing you say will ever sway that. Yeah. And that's concerning when people literally have, have decided, I'm not going to use my brain anymore, and I'm not going to think, I'm not going to use critical thinking anymore and make a decision. I've just decided something. And I'm going to be pig-headed about it. Right. We, there's a, been a lot in the in the media about confirmation bias, you know, yeah. these days. That uh, people believe what they believe. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes when those beliefs are challenged uh, and evidence is presented to, yeah. you know, suggest a different truth, mm. instead of converting to another viewpoint, people double down oh, yes. on their on their pre-existing beliefs. Yeah. yeah. So so when you have a conversation with someone and you and uh, and they're saying these things on online, how do you how do you combat that when you know that that people are likely to become more entrenched? Mm-hmm. How, how do you get them to to see a different point of view? So I myself am by nature a stubborn person, right. you know, and, and when I when I would engage with someone, it would be very easy for me to kind of get red in the face and, and double down and all that. And I fought that in my own nature over the last couple of years. So what I try to do is not be combative or, or confrontational with them. So if you and I are disagreeing about something here, first, I'm going to respect that you have your opinion and try to understand why you feel the way you do. So if you, for example, said to me, well, Islam is a scourge and everyone here, is, it's an uh, ideology that's, that's predicated on terror and murder, etc. there. Why do you feel that way, Dale? Hmm. Tell me. But, and, and at some point, you'll give me your reasons. And then I, I can provide my context and, and try. And when I respect that you have an opinion based on something, then there's a conversation. If I'm literally just saying your ideas are stupid, well, then all we're doing is hurling insults or hurling stones at one another. So I found that it doesn't always work. Some people will literally never present any evidence 
like if you, if they say, well, this village mall incident, I said, well, it didn't happen, and here's my my facts behind it. They'll kind of dance around, and I realize that they're not having a conversation. But by not being confrontational, I've had at least, now it sounds trivial, I've had at least two individuals privately message me from the CBC comments area and also from that, that thread and, and say, you know what, you're right. I didn't actually, like I was just repeating what other people told me without thinking about it. And both of them have kind of taken me up on the offer of meeting me at some point. Like one's out of the country right now and will come back. And they've also admitted they, they don't really know any Muslims directly. They've just been, they kind of got caught up in this mob of this is what's going on. And they even indicated there was personal things that went on in their lives that kind of, hurt them and made them go down this route. Mm. So we had that private conversation. I'm like, great, you know, I'm not going to shame you on the internet. If you want to talk to me privately, let's take this offline. But I just found a gentler, kinder approach. You know, you get more, you catch more flies with honey kind of a, uh, approach there. Yeah. So that's a, that's a nice segue into project kindness. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about that. So project kindness. So one of my, my core values, um, especially that I've, I've developed and honed over the last couple of years, is really wanting to influence and change the world uh, not by taking things head on and forcing people to change their mind, but by setting a good example. So in my personal life, you know, I moved here, uh, as you mentioned, I'm approaching my first town anniversary. Uh, I'm a week shy of that now. So when I moved here, I had no network. I knew, I knew virtually no one in St. John's. Um, so I just started going out with my kids and just doing things in the community. Like I would, you know, put a, a post up on a, a Facebook buy and sell page saying, we'll, we'll donate our time to help someone else. And people started noticing that, not to celebrate me. It wasn't a self-promotion thing, but they said, hey, we can do that as well. And, I, and it, it, something clicked in my head saying, hey, if I can set an example and show people how easy it is to step outside of their, themselves and all the excuses why we can't do things for others and realize how easy it actually is, we can change the world through a million little incremental changes. So I started doing that, and then I formed this group, and I just you know came up with the name Project Kindness, because at the end of the day, I want people, I'm, I'm trying to influence everyone in our community to just be a little bit better than what they are today. Be a bit kinder, you know, give to others, help organizations, anything that they're passionate about. And so we started, you know, I, I say we loosely, because it's, it's, there's no formal group. It's me and, a, and a, a loose group of volunteers who step up as they can. And we got behind causes like supporting Choices for Youth and Stella Circle, putting together winter care packages. And people in the province came together, and we got the, about 200 packages of, of winter clothing items, uh, personal hygiene items there. And that was all just from donations. And then people get excited saying, hey, I can do that. So they come to me with their ideas, and I'd help them kind of promote it. We put together gift boxes for uh, the Single Parents Association, Single Parents Association of Newfoundland and Labrador for children who were helped from their programs. And there again, there was over two hundred boxes of those, and that was just from donations from the community. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a lot of things like that. I'm involved in this group called Time Raisers now, which is coming up in July. So I'm on I'm on the uh, planning board for that. So essentially, it's uh, we buy local or local art is purchased from local artists, and people can buy that by bidding volunteer hours, and those hours. Uh, are spent on any local nonprofit or charity of their choosing. They have a year to use that. So it's great. So, like, you know, we get to promote local charities. People get to do fun things. Um, and it just keeps growing from there. Yeah, cool. That yeah. sounds like a neat, a neat project. It yeah. is. It's yeah. super exciting. Um, and so what's the what's the response been to Project Kindness? It, I mean, I mean you, you've, you've talked a little bit about how people have come in and done stuff. Yeah. What, when you when you go into an organization and give those boxes, what's, yeah. what's the response there? It's just joy. You know, it's joy for everyone involved. Um, I think the concept of private, 
private uh, project kindness uh, really resonates with a lot of people. So I remember I was fortunate. Um, uh, t- uh, Tara Bradbury from the Telegram, uh, we're friends now, but she reached out to me uh, when I was first just forming Project Kindness back in October, November, and we did. An, and she ran a, there was an article in the Telegram, and then she gave me some feedback saying that you know people were calling the uh, the Telegram and saying that this is a gr- this is the kind of news that we want to hear. This is like it was really nice to see that. Uh, people want good news stories mm-hmm. and not just, hey, that happened, but they want easy ways to be involved. And so it's one of those things that there's a lot of, you know, the, the world's a dark place if we see, if we only look for the darkness, but it's a beautiful, lovely place as well. And Project Kindness and a million different initiatives and people who do things like that give people hope and saying, hey, there are ways that we can make this world better and here's just one way to do it. So it, and I think it really touched a nerve and all those stereotypical things that Newfoundlanders are rightfully proud of, of how giving, how caring, how kind we are. I think what I'm doing with Project Kindness, it exploits that and it really brings those qualities to light in people saying, hey, here's a way that the community can come together and give. Mm. I want to talk to you a little bit about the importance of community. Because mm. you, you talked about how you, you came here. You know, yeah. you've been living away for a bit and you came back to, to St. John's and have been living here for a year. Um, so did you really have a community when you, when you arrived? And then how, mm. do you, how do you build community? And personally, how did you build a community? And then in a general sense, how do we, how do we build better community? You know, there's, um, for a lot of my friends, my now friends living in St. John's, there's this perception that it's really hard for someone not from here to, to break in because even though Newfoundland is a very welcoming place here, um, it's hard when you're a stranger to, to, for people to let their guard down and let you in. Um, what I did personally is I put myself out there. You have to take risks. That's it. Like if, if I was a shy person, uh, which you know, wouldn't make me a bad person, but if I didn't connect with people, if I didn't take chances, um, I probably wouldn't know more than a handful more people than I knew a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I put myself out there. I just started, you know, I'd talk to strangers. <laughs> you know, I, st- I go, like when I started doing <laughs> things with Project Kindness, I go into a random business. Um, like Jack Axis, for example, the axe throwing bar in St. John's. I, I connected with the owners uh, just through Facebook. I said, hey, I'm a guy and I like to do good things in the community. And I'm wondering if you guys are open to collaborating. So I met Adrian, the owner, uh, one of the owners, uh, over coffee one day. And, and we came up with an idea to do a fundraiser for the gathering place. And that's how we met. And so I built and then we became good friends. And actually, incidentally, I started working there part time as well. So I made this friend and I had this network here and every, every opportunity of networking became a new avenue of meeting people and great people. And now I, I consider myself a very rich person for the people I know. I know the loveliest people who are all in St. John's and I love this place because I invested in this community. If I, like a tree has to put down roots, otherwise it's just going to fall over. And that's what, that's what I, I did and what everyone needs to do to be invested in their community. Mm-hmm. So now uh, if, if, uh you are working for a nonprofit organization of some kind and, and you know, something like the gathering place. How, how do you embody that, that spirit then as an organization? How do you make your organization be the center of community? You know, I guess the best thing you can do is, is appeal to all of the community. So we have very, we more so now than ever before, especially, you know, in the Northeast Avalon and Newfoundland in general, uh, diversity is an actual real thing here. Once upon a time, diversity could be the difference between Catholic and Protestant. Right, yeah. uh, Or what side of the the main road you lived on. Uh, Now it's everything from, you know, ethnicity, language, religion, orientation, and a, a variety of factors there that on the surface makes us different, but, but collectively, you know, unites us here. So if you really want to be a core 
or a pillar in the community, as far as a nonprofit or organization, I would recommend and encourage you to reach out to all members of your community um, and be diverse. Don't don't focus on one segment of the community. Um, you know, places like the, well, not to speak on the gathering place or any like. You know, there's some organizations I know better than others, but the more the broader your reach and the broader your appeal, the Association for New Canadians, great example. They're all about diversity because they're literally dealing with new Canadians here from diverse backgrounds and, and life histories there and working on integrating them and giving them all the tools they need to be successful in the local community. So for them, they are a core, but probably not a well-known uh, nonprofit, only because unless you have links to new Canadians, you probably have very little involvement in them. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're another nonprofit, maybe pair with other ones. Maybe even you're not competing. I mean, it's not pie. Everyone can, there's there's more than enough to go around here. But build a network of other you know like minded community organizers, entrepreneurs, leaders, and even groups, and, and be part of that 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 mosaic that makes us so wonderful. Mm. Uh, we're, we're drawing towards the end of our time here. And before we go, I wanted to talk just briefly about the Beard and Mustache Club. <laughs> how did that How did that start? So I'm actually, I'm still, I, I had lived in Saskatchewan for three years before this. And I'm a member, of, I'm still a member of the Saskatchewan Beard and Mustache Club. So what a, a facial hair Beard and Mustache Club is, is A, as a social club for anyone who appreciates facial hair, whether you have some or not, whether you're man, woman, whatever, um, you can join. But the... Other than being a social gathering, it's it's a way for strangers to get together and and focus on how we can give back to the community. So one of the main focuses for my club uh, is that let's let's focus a on valuing diversity, so people of broad backgrounds can join, and I encourage them to join. But we're looking at you know how we can give back. So we're looking at uh, participating in the Pride Parade coming up and getting you know branded like sort of Pride branded shirts made up, doing like a, a group blood donation, doing community cleanups, anything we can, anything we can come up creatively to a have fun. But a big B is how can we give back and make your community better and use you know even if, our, if it's just our visual appeal. I mean beards are facial hair is lovely and I have no bias whatsoever <laughs> uh, people notice us you know we you know it's, it's a funny laughable thing there but we can use that 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 notoriety there uh, for good and we can do good things now if people want uh, to find out about the beard club or find out about project kindness how do they how do they do that both are on Facebook so project kindness you can look it up on on Facebook and the uh, Newfoundland, Newfoundland and Labrador beard and mustache club and do you have do you have a regular kind of meeting we, we have monthly meetings actually beard and mustache club next meeting June 14th at the uh, inn of old in Kitty Vitty. oh fabulous that's yeah. a great a, a great it spot. is Linda's yeah. a lovely lady there she's gonna take good care of us <laughs> I can imagine Linda will be in her glory with a yeah. bunch of uh, bearded men <laughs> hanging around yeah, and, and yeah, others yeah, yeah that's that's awesome you're welcome to come out you know you had a bit of stubble there dale <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to come out I, I got some time i can work <laughs> on it yeah so now what's next for you what what's are you you seem like the kind of person that's always coming up with a new project doing a new thing what's what's on the horizon well, the horizon so the time raisers we have our event uh july 26th that's gonna be at yellow belly tickets are available if you look up time raisers uh, Newfoundland. Um, it'll be on my Facebook page on Project Kindness as well. I'm currently looking at maybe partnering with the Muslim community to do some kind of outreach to maybe have, you know, who, who knows, maybe have a boil up at Middle Cove with the Muslim community and anyone else to sort of um, to, to break down barriers. Um, so there's a couple things on the horizon there. And for that, that particular project that's coming up uh, with the, uh, the, the time, uh, time, raisers. time raisers, are you looking for artists to partner with? or? So right now we're looking for a couple things here. We have the artists we need. Uh, we're looking for people to buy tickets. They're only $10 to attend the event and buy the art. But we're also looking for some sponsorship as well. So all the money goes back into the organization to help promote the event there. So if there's any businesses, anyone interested in talking about sponsorship, they can reach out to me. I mean, uh, my contact info I'll give to you and we can pass it along. It's 
Austin High. You can look me up on Facebook or look up Project Kindness and shoot me a message. Great. Well, I you know this has been a fabulous conversation. I feel like we could just we could talk for another hour or so. Yeah. <laughs> you seem like a chatty kind I of I got things fella. to talk about. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm a talker. Well, great. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening.